Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Warning. The following program contains shocking content that may give you a better or worse than pessimistic hope on anything you like, especially when it comes to your love of sports, entertainment, and even your own morning culinary experiences. Viewer and listener discretion is advised. Four and 12, one of the absolute best prop over under plays on the board under Patriots, eight and a half. Absolutely. You call these bagels? It's Bagels and Bad Beats with Scott Wetzel. Welcome to Bagels and Bad Beats with yours truly, Scott Wetzel, on this Wednesday, July 1st morning. Yes, it is the first day of July. I'm sitting in for the next two hours, taking your phone calls, as we always do, 844-843-6879. Again, toll-free, 844-843-6879. You want to follow me on Twitter, send a tweet. It is at Opposite Picks. That's O-P-P-O-S-I-T-E, Picks, P-I-C-K-S. Email me. Go to the website, OppositePicks.com. Hit the contact Scott icon and fire away. Emails, tweets, phone calls again right here on a Wednesday, July 1st, Bagels and Bad Beats with yours truly, Scott Wetzel. NBA stands for no backing away. Too good to be true. Two's better than one. No more Marv. One big mountain to climb. Brady the baby keeping up with the Joneses. Whose side are you on, Cardinals? Leave it to the Stankies. Live and in living color? Eh, probably not. Uh, once a bird brain, always a bird brain. And well, 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 well. Look who's calling Mr. Vegas now. We'll get to all those stories again, plus your phone calls, emails, and tweets right here again. Bagels and bad beats for this Wednesday, July 1st morning. Hopefully, folks, you're having a good start to your day. Uh, 5 o'clock Eastern time, 5.07 to be exact, coming up on eight minutes past the hour. Again, taking you right up until 7 a.m. Eastern time. A lot to get to. Nothing earth-shattering, major breaking news. However. Uh, the silver lining for the naysayers was laid out by Adam Silver yesterday in the NBA. Didn't really, you know, it's one of those stories where the headline attracts attention, but he didn't say anything that earth shattering. But he did acknowledge that, you know, there is a chance we won't have an NBA season. I mean, you'd have to be a bird brain not to admit that, right? I mean, listen, if the coronavirus continues to spread as it is doing right now throughout the nation again, um, you know, eventually it's going to come to a point where you'd have to say, okay, enough is enough. So we'll talk about that, some more baseball stuff, NFL stuff, including Tom Brady being a big baby. That's all coming up. Bagels and Bad Beats on a Wednesday morning. Scott Russell. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Ah, there you go. Little Sopranos. You know, it took me, in fact, I still don't know, after binge-watching The Sopranos, and it took me, uh, eh, I would say, about a month to get through the entire series. 
after binge watching, I still don't really know the, the theme song, not who sang it or any of that other stuff. Did they ever change the words? Like the first few years, I was so enthralled with this series. You know, the, and the, the, the opening theme song was good. But it was so, you know, you're distracted by, you know, I, I grew up in Jersey, so I'm looking for things, you know, maybe some stores and different things that I've seen before. So I was kind of distracted with the theme song. And then after like year number four of binge watching, uh, I kind of got into the theme song and then that was it. And then I started thinking about, OK, are those the same words that were in year numbers one and two? Because it, it, it would have made sense for me to like kind of update it throughout the year. But I don't think they did. Same words I'm being told from the very first episode to the very last episode, you know. I, I know the, the the videos were the same. You would think they would have taken just a little bit of a new ingenuity, right? And just changed. I mean, there's a gazillion stores in, in that area where they were, uh, you know, I think that was Hudson County where uh, they were filming. I mean, you, you think somewhere along the line, year number two, three, four, five, they would have updated the opening uh, just to change it a little bit and just, you know, even have kind of a little play on the words of some of the different things that happened in previous episodes. But uh, so I'm done binge watching the Sopranos and done uh, Essex and Bergen County, yeah, Hudson County. It's all the same. It's all dumpy. Um, it, it's, you know, you I, I'm done Sopranos and I'm done uh, Ray Donovan. So now I got to move on to the next one. I've gotten a lot of suggestions. Uh, but I tell you, as I told you yesterday, I'm a bad binge watcher because I do binge watch it. You know, it's, it's on my mind 24 seven and it's not a good thing. There's so many other things going on in my world. I really don't have the time. Uh, and the luxury, really, to be able to binge watch a TV show. But uh, I, I did with those two. So, And I've seen both a little bit before, but I had to kind of finalize the whole thing. So um, hopefully we have distractions within the next month. But I got to tell you, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news of all this stuff. And I hate to open up every single show with the bad news. But, you know, more and more every single day, it's more. I'm not necessarily worried about the individual players. Well. Yeah, I, you know that that that's going to happen, and I think each sport realizes that it's the overall theme. All these states, you know, Florida's falling apart at the seams. Texas falling apart at the seams. Tennessee is shutting it down. You know, different states are now saying that the they're not going to be open like they thought they would, and all these little goofy stages that we have, uh, they're going to you know stop the stages. And instead of going to stage two or stage three, they're staying at stage one. I mean, it's the overall that I, I am worried about. And Adam Silver yesterday in an interview with Time, um, you know, basically just acknowledged that he he didn't see anything crazy. You know, he he didn't say, you know, we're shutting the facilities all down and we're we're you know giving up on the season. Although Denver did close its facilities, but on the same day that the Nets reopened there, so lose one, gain one. But he just acknowledged, you know, if, if it's, it's never going to be full steam ahead, his exact words, you know, they have to look at some of the data that's going on there. And he wouldn't give a specific number in the interview, but he did acknowledge there is going to come a point where um, if it's just not safe, if there are just too many people coming down with the virus, then we have to shut it all down. Now, again, is that five? Is that 10? Is that 15? Is it an entire club? You know, how many players on a team, significant players, not, not you know, the backups, you know, if the Houston Rockets, you know, have uh, James Harden and uh, Russell Westbrook both out, you know, is that going to stop them from playing? No, maybe not. But if you go two or three more, you don't need the entire team. That's not obviously the same Houston Rockets team with those star players. You're going to want those teams going into the postseason. I mean, it's not going to be fair, you know, when – you know, and, and again, you know, play a little conspiracy here, depending on how it finalizes. You know, I, I can't help but think that the, some of these teams are going to come down with the virus and just allow LeBron James and company to walk into the NBA finals. 
So where, you know, where's the cutoff point? Is it an entire team? You know, what if a team just said, listen, my, uh, my guys are giving up. I, I got five guys with the virus here, and I got one guy maybe going to intensive care. And so, And all my other guys are saying, that's it. It's, it's not worth it. You know, would you just eliminate them? Would you give an automatic W? You know, did they have the, the riot act with these players and say, listen, if you're coming in, then you're in for the long haul. Now, listen, if you get sick, obviously, but if you have two, three, or even four players come down with the virus, you can't bail on us, you know. Do you want to play or don't you guys? And if the answer is yes, then then you, unless there's a really uh, pandemic within your team, you're going to have to withstand a couple of losses no matter who it is. So I I just wonder. I I don't know if they have those numbers. I don't know if there are specific numbers that they're just locking down and just not telling the world. But is it six? Is it seven? All we got yesterday out of silver is that there is basically a point. Again, didn't give an exact number, but there is a point where they just have to say, we just can't do it anymore. Now, you can make the case, as many have, and I'll tell you the same thing, that living in the bubble uh, is probably the safest place to be, right? I mean, listen, if Florida could have 50 zillion new cases, but if these players stay in the bubble that they're creating, they should be okay. If the players take the test every single day, like they're supposed to, or at least every other day, and if someone does fail, uh, he doesn't fight it and say, no, 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 it can't be me. You know, I got to take another test. And then they have to wait another full day plus to get the results. So he could have the results and be spreading it for two, three days without them finally acknowledging it and have it get pulled out. You know, if they actually play by the rules, you know, you think the bubble would be safe. But again, you know, that's assuming they stay in the bubble. And that's going to be tough. You're, you're talking about 20-year-old kids for the most part who want to go out. They want to party. They want to drink. They want to have a good time. They don't want to be locked up in a hotel room. You know, they've made most of their money. That's the thing. You know, it's not like you can hang over their head. Listen, you're going to make another $10, 15000000 million. You're going to make your salary. They've made, for the most part, their salary. they got basically one paycheck left and then any kind of money they make. Uh, in the postseason, which is significant, but they've made most of their money. And it's it's guys, it's young guys. You know, they want to screw around. They want to do whatever they want to be able to do. They want to sneak away, you know. Um, so I, I can't help but think that they're either going to sneak out or they're going to sneak people in, whether it's broads, whether it's friends, whether it's whoever the case may be. It It, it is tough. Now, someone did point out yesterday, and it is kind of true, you know, is it any different than a military setting? Yeah, probably not. You know, you hate to compare it to the military because I'm, I'm not saying it's the same significance. But, you know, a military setting is you're in a bubble. You live in the confines. You, you can't break rules. Hell, we got this Andy from San Antonio who calls in from time to time. You know, he's over in Saudi Arabia with his country, not even military. And he's basically living in a bubble. So it's not impossible. I mean, it's not the end of the world. You're talking about a couple of months. And for a lot of these teams, it's even less than that, you know, if they don't make the postseason or if they get knocked out in the first round. You know, in that case, it's less than a month, really. You play your eight dopey games and you get done with it, although you do have the training camp. So it's, let me correct myself. With training camp, it, it would be more than a month, but it's less than two months. You know, you could survive less than two months, I would think, because if you can't, then they shouldn't have signed up. That's the bottom line. So Silver yesterday acknowledging that there is a point, wouldn't say what the point is, but cross your fingers and hopefully this thing doesn't uh, blow up. As far as the games are concerned, they're talking about trying to do it live um, to make it more interesting for the fan. Listen, I, I hate to not hate, but I, you know, I love to break the news to the NBA world, but you're not going to have to do anything too fancy. 
if you bring sports back, it, it's not like people are going to be clamoring for something else and they're going to be moving on in life. That That is not the case. People are starving for sports. I mean, hell, you could put those guys out there and, and just make it as bland and boring as can be. Hell, you could put the games on without any broadcasters and people would still be flocking to the TV, whether it's gamblers or whether it's uh, fans of those teams, especially after the first few games. It may take a little while for fans to buy into this stuff, but, I, I, you know, I really don't even think that, but I'll give you, you know, maybe the first, after the first week, maybe, as we have a, a lead into the postseason, because we all know for the most part who's making the playoffs, especially in the Eastern Conference. Um, so there might be a little downtime, but you know, people are so starved for entertainment with sports. You don't have to worry about having live and hearing the players say whatever they're going to say on the court. You don't have to do anything fancy, put in fake music or fake fans or anything along those lines. Just, just stick them out there and people will watch. Uh, you know, like in Iowa with Field the Dreams, build it and they will come and they absolutely positively will come for sure no matter what the situation is in the NBA, MLB, or NHL. All right, 844-843-6879. More to get to on a Wednesday morning. Bagels and Bad Beats. Here's truly Scott Westcole. Hopeful coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Try my disgusting bagel. Now, back to bagels and bad beats with Scott Wetzel. Talking about mobile quarterbacks, guys that are tough to handle, tackle, um can throw, run, make good decisions, can be in a lot of that. I mean, I would put Newton at the top of the list. See, he makes good decisions, he can run, he's strong, he's hard to tackle. He, he, can, he can do a lot of different things, beach in a lot of different ways. We saw that in the game down there in 13. Uh, so he's, I would put him at the top of the list. Not saying the other guys aren't a problem, because they are. But yeah, he's, he'd be public enemy number one. Bill Belichick, Patriots head coach, in one soundbite that I think we got out of Belichick over the last 10 years combined. I mean, maybe maybe we're getting the new Bill Belichick talking about Cam Brady yesterday and uh, Cam Newton, rather, yesterday and, and the signing and why him and how good he is and this and that. You know, obviously, Bill uh, is never one for words, but maybe, maybe, just maybe he feels liberated without Tom Brady. Maybe, just maybe. We're going to get a new Bill Belichick this year. He's going to open up. He's going to expand. He's actually going to be a normal human being with the press. Uh, or maybe it's just June and uh, now July, but June and he's thinking he's got nothing to hide. And, and uh, you know, the NFL is going uh, uh, nowhere with uh, all the virus stuff going on that maybe he feels like he doesn't have to protect anything. I, I don't know. But boy, oh boy, him talking about Cam Newton yesterday, he 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 had more kind words for Newton than he had for Tom Brady again over the last 15 years. And speaking of Tom Brady, what a baby. Really, really, this guy's, uh, you know, the more and more 
You know, a month ago, he's crying about how his marriage with his wife sucks. Like, well, welcome to our world there, Tom. You know, you got 50 gazillion dollars. I get it. Your wife's got 50 gazillion dollars. I get it. You got all these TV shows. You got all these great kids and everything else, all honky-dory. Then he has to open up to the world about how his life sucks because his marriage isn't going too well. <laughs> exactly. All right, welcome to our world. So he's asking for sympathy with that. Forget that. Uh, then he goes to Tampa Bay after having this little tour. Uh, and listen, maybe he got kicked out by New England. It, it, it does sound in the end it was kind of like a mutual decision. Maybe more so the Patriots. Who knows? But, you know, he he left. And he goes on this little uh, LeBron James-esque like tour. Where am I going to wind up? You know, putting all these pictures out and sending out the Instagram of him leaving Gillette Stadium. Again, all trying to draw up some sympathy, I suppose. So finally, the page, he signs with the Bucks. Okay, pretty good spot. He's got a lot of weapons. He's got a head coach that's going to kiss his ass. He's got an offensive coordinator that will never in a million years. Uh, Byron Leftwich, you know, challenge him so he can do and say whatever the fudge he wants. So he's in a pretty good spot, right? You know, um, so then the Patriots sign, obviously, Cam Newton. And Julian Edelman yesterday sends out an Instagram note, you know, addressing Cam saying, let's work. All right, no big deal. Now I get it. I get it. Brady and Edelman are butt friends. I understand all that. Best friends. Uh, but, you know, does Brady just let it alone like no big deal? I got 50 gazillion weapons with Tampa Bay. I'm in a pretty good spot. Like Wetzel says, no. He's got to send out another Instagram attaching himself to the original one saying, I will. Kind of like, uh, you know, trumping Cam Newton and, and trumping the Edelman-Cam relationship that Julian's apparently trying to build just by saying, let's work. I mean, what a baby Brady. Really, it's, you know, I don't necessarily root against him being a Red Sox and Bruins fan and Celtics fan although I am a Dolphins fan, but my brother up in the New England area, I know, you know, lives and dies with Tom Brady and has over the last 15 years. So I, I kind of side with them a little bit, you know, once my Dolphins are eliminated from the picture, but it's hard to root for this guy. You're talking about being just a big baby, really. And then there's the reports about how the Bucs are, are being wooed by Brady to sign Antonio Brown. So far, they're saying no. You remember Bruce Arians, their head coach, used to work with the uh, A.B. when they were in Pittsburgh together. So they know he's a buffoon. He's seen it up close. There's no reason to think Tampa Bay. They got a gazillion wide receivers anyway. There really is no reason to bring Antonio in. So you got to believe that's a Tom Brady situation. I don't know if Brady's going to be pissed off if uh, he doesn't get his uh, his guy to be signed by Tampa Bay. But you know, there's more stuff like the world's got to realize that Antonio Brown is not the be-all, end-all. And either, for that matter, at this point, is Tom Brady. But I don't know. You know, all these things that Brady is doing, no big deal. But when you put them all together, it's just like, you know, stop, stop already. And and Randy Moss, by the way, told uh, the four-letter network that he thinks the Patriot offense is going to be a lot more fun with Cam uh, than what it was with Tom Brady, which is interesting because he had, you know, maybe his best season with Tom Brady. I didn't think Brady had anything to do with him being ousted with New England. I thought that was more a Belichick and Moss thing versus it was a Brady thing. but. You know, the other thing about Cam is, you know, don't let facts, you know, we have a saying here on the show, <clears throat> don't let facts get in the way of a good rant, because apparently Randy Moss is not watching the same Cam Newton I've watched over the years. Uh, apparently he's not watching the same guy that has thrown for more than 24 touchdowns in a season, which is nothing one time. Apparently he's not watching the same Cam Newton that has thrown for 4,000 yards in a season, which is nothing one time. 
Apparently, he's not watching the same Cam Newton, who has thrown for more than 62% of his passes completions, which is nothing one time. And apparently, he's not watching the same Cam Newton, who has thrown for less than 10 interceptions in a season. Uh, never. So you could talk all you want about how Cam is this, and is he better than Jared Stidham? I imagine yes. I mean, they're already anointing him the starter, which would not be any kind of surprise. But to think all of a sudden you're getting the next Tom Brady or the next Joe Montana or even the next, uh, you know, Ryan uh, Tannehill, you're not. You're getting a guy that's been a mediocre statistically quarterback over the years. Led the Panthers to the Super Bowl. I get that, but choked horribly in the Super Bowl. Other than that, he's been a colossal disappointment. Again, throwing for more than 24 touchdowns one time in his career, once. You know, throwing for 4,000 yards in a season, which is nothing. One lousy time. Completing more than 62% of his passes, which in today's day and age is nothing because every single pass is five yards. You and I could throw for 65% completion rate one time. And while 10 interceptions is not necessarily a lot, you know, to, you know, guys do throw for less than 10 interceptions in a season, and he never has. So don't tell me all those other numbers are being affected because they don't throw the football enough. No, they, they throw the football as much as anybody else. So you're not getting, you know, the next Sammy Ball here, Patriot fans. You want to you believe that? Go ahead and knock yourself out because that'll just uh, make your disappointment be that much more severe. So go ahead and think you're getting the next great thing. 844-843-6879, 844-843-6879. Well, he is a staple to the program, to lead off the program anyway. He's like the uh, a jump start. You know, if you're a car, sometimes the old cars, you know, the standard shift, sometimes you need to push it to get the star, uh, the, the, the star going, um, or the car going. Well, that, that's kind of how it is with uh, John in Manhattan with uh, Bagels and Bad Beats. He's our jump start to the program. Welcome, John, to this Wednesday edition of Bagels and Bad Beats. What's up, my friend? Hey, Scott. How are you? Good morning. 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 You're killing me with the Freudian slips. First, you called Cam Newton Cam Brady, which yeah, yeah. actually makes a lot of sense because he's obviously playing in the shadow of Tom Brady. And then you said that Brady and Edelman were butt friends. Um, and we've heard that rumor, too. So you're killing me with these uh <laughs> you know why I saw a little <laughs> I, I saw a little clip of Mark Sanchez's butt fumble yesterday, so I had I had that in my my brain there. So, <laughs> so this might seem like it's out of left field, pardon the pun, but Scott, you were talking the other day about Yastrzemski, and I did not do a deep dive, but I just looked up his wiki page, and um, Yastrzemski Scott grew up in Bridgehampton, which I didn't know. His yep. son, yeah, his son stole his identity before he uh, suffered an untimely death at the age of 44, which is surprising. Uh, but get this, Yastrzemski got married once in 2002 at the age of 63. Wow. Uh, did not, why did always son die? How do you have a son if he wasn't married? Oh, well, I mean, well, he had that. Happened. Right. Like I said, I'm not saying I did a deep, deep dive. I just looked at the wiki page, but it seems like he had some kids out of wedlock. And then uh, he got married only once when he was 63 in 2002. So that's certainly unusual. Huh, Scott. Yeah, that is weird. Listen, you can make the case. We were talking in, in the podcast about who was the most beloved Red Sox ever. And listen, if you ask someone who's in his 20s or 30s, they'll probably tell you Big Poppy. But if you ask someone in their 40s or 50s, they'll probably tell you Karyo Skremski. 
If you ask someone in their 60s and 70s, they'd probably tell you Ted Williams. So I fall in the in the Carl Yastrzemski era. And then it has the lovable loser label, you know, in that they never won. So that tends to make the fan really enjoy them that much more in a, in a strange sort of way. Uh, you know, much like with the Cubs, you know, the lovable losers in Chicago. So, but you can make the case, John, that, you know, the two most beloved figures in Red Sox history, both strange. You know, I, I'll be the first to admit it. Yastrzemski is my all-time favorite player as a kid growing up. He's as strange as strange can be, and Ted Williams wasn't much different. So if, if you want to eliminate Big Poppy, who is really probably the antithesis of both those guys, uh, both Williams and Yaz, both very weird. You know, very, you know, uh, you talk about Yaz just being a complete recluse. Yeah, he did grow up on Long Island. I knew that. Um, I don't know if he was a Yankee fan or not, but didn't know about his son, um, you know, and stealing his identity. But as far as just being strange and whatever, yeah, he he had the burden of the Red Sox not winning, John, on his shoulders absolutely all these years. Yeah, I'm sure you guys looked at him, and he, you know, he's a weirdo, but he's he's our weirdo. So uh, that's Carl Yastrzemski. Every time I read his name, it's got to reminds me of the uh, the joke where the the uh, the Polish guy Walensky goes to the optometrist, and the optometrist says, "Mr. Walensky, haven't seen you in a while, but let's just save a little time. Can you read read down and read that fifth line there, and uh, we'll get you out of here right away." And so Walensky's looking at these letters on the eye chart. M-X-Z-L-P, and he says, Doc, can I read the fifth line? I know the guy. <laughs> good, good call, John. Bagels and bad beats on a Wednesday morning. Very nice. I like that. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Bagel. Now, back to Bagels and Bad Beats with Scott Wetzel. Look at what we did this offseason. We felt like we had an incredible, incredibly successful offseason and, and what we were able to add and, and bringing, you know, bringing aboard a Corey Dickerson, signing up Jesus Aguilar, you know, trading for Jonathan Villar uh, to go along with already a, a very talented core of young players with Brian Anderson and Miguel Rojas and, and Jorge Alfaro. And I think that the biggest thing is is the pitching and, and the depth of pitching that we have. And you said it, it's a 60-game sprint. And uh, there's no reason that that uh, when we report uh, to Miami here in a few days that, that 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 Miami shouldn't be in consideration for for winning the division and and being one of the, the playoff teams you know for for this season. That, my friends, is not good news if you're a Don Mattingly fan. You know, that was Michael Hill, who's the president, acting general manager of the uh, Miami Marlins, talking about the prospects for this upcoming season. You know, anytime you put hope into a season like that, when basically your team sucks like the Marlins do, the manager's in a lot of trouble. This Marlins team lost 105 games, 105, 106, 105 games last year, over 100 games. And now all of a sudden, 
one-off season signing a bunch of stiffs is all is going to turn them into a, a playoff contender. I don't care if it's 60 games or six, the Marlins are not. They are absolutely positively not a playoff contender. Could they have a nice little two or three-game winning streak somewhere along the line? Well, perhaps, I suppose. But if you think over even 60 games, they're going to have a winning record. Remember, no expanded playoffs in, in Major League Baseball. The, the owners wanted it, but the players said no to that. So you're going to get your standard three-division winners and two wildcard teams. If you think the Miami Marlins, Mr. Hill, is going to be one of the top five teams in a really balanced, I think, National League, you know, maybe a team like that could make an upstart in the American League. We're really, you know, outside of the Stanks and Red Sox, uh, and and Astros and Twinkies, there's no dominant, dominant team out there. But in the National League, boy, the, the AL East alone, which is where they sit, they're loaded. You talk about their schedule. They got 40 games against the world champion Nats, the Philadelphia Phillies with renewed hope with their new skipper, the New York Mets, which a lot of people around here anyway seem to think that they're going to contend for a championship. That, that's that's 30 games right there against real, real good competition. Then you throw in they got to play, oh, by the way, the American League East. Remember, they're not playing the AL or NL Central or NL West. They have to stay within the East Division. So they're going up against, okay, five more games against those Stankies, five more games against the Red Sox, five more games against the uh, playoff uh, bound from last year, Tampa Bay Devil Dogs. I mean, that is 40 games, 30, 40 games against real good competition. To think the Marlins are going to rise above that, that's crazy. Again, you know, you feel bad for the manager because if if the Marlins are selling hope to their fans, and in general you sell hope to get fannies into the stadium, well, you know, there aren't going to be, I don't think anyway, people going to these games, and if so, they're going to limit it to five, ten thousand. 10,000. Um, and I don't even know if you'd get that, for, but there's no real reason to think, okay, the, the caveat out there is uh, 30,000 fans in the stands. Well, you're not going to be able to allow that anyway this year. So why, why bother put out this false hope? I mean, if the Marlins organization really believes that, if Derek Jeter and company really think this is a playoff caliber team, Mattingly is in a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. And I, I tell you, I know he signed, I believe, a, a relatively new contract, but I, I want to see – Two, you know, stanky, you talk about lovable figures with the Red Sox before the break. You know, it was Mattingly passing the torch basically to Jeter. It, it really was. You had different guys in there, but it, talking about beloved figures and captain to captain, it, it basically went from Mattingly being the main face of the Stanks in the 80s, you know, to Jeter picking up that torch uh, in the late 90s and then into the 2000s. I mean, I, I want to see Derek Jeter fire Don Mattingly. Oh, I, I, I would pay to see that. As a stanky hater, I would absolutely pay to see that. I guarantee it wouldn't happen. I, I really, they would have, they would pay off Mattingly. They, they would have to. They, they would, I don't think Jeter has the balls to do that. I think he would pull Mattingly aside and say, listen, dude, it's not happening. Uh, you know, I know you were lanky, uh, uh, you stanky hero. I was a stanky hero. I don't want to bury you. You know, I don't want the stanky people taking sides. I don't want to have uh, stanky fans hate me, which is what they might do if I fire you. So just 
just walk away. Do, do us all a favor and say you're not feeling well. Say you want to spend more time with the family. You know, say that the, the organization is taking too long to win. Say whatever the fudge you want, but do me a favor, right? Take a seven-figure walk-away paycheck and just go away so I don't have to fire you and suffer the public humiliation. I guarantee you that's what would occur. But if the Marlins think that they're actually contending this year, then, then they're kidding themselves. They really are. Uh, I can't believe what the Detroit Tigers did yesterday. This has been one of my pet peeves for the longest time. I don't know all the necessary rules of minor league slash major league slash drafting in, in major league baseball, but the Tigers yesterday gave this guy, Spencer Torkelson, an over $8.4 million signing bonus. He was the number one overall pick in the draft, what was last week or two weeks ago. So, and this again, uh, you know, oh, by the way, from a guy who wasn't even drafted out of high school. So three years later, he goes from being an absolute nobody. I mean, just nobody. And this is back when there were 45 rounds in drafts and no one drafted him out of high school to three years later uh, to all of a sudden being the best prospect there is. Hmm. You know, someone say stick a needle in my ass. But anyway, he's there. So he's number one. Deserves all the accolades. So the Tigers, according to the rules that they have in Major League Baseball, have to give him a certain amount of money. It's kind of slotted like the NFL draftees. And the slot for a minor league baseball player, the number one pick overall, albeit $8.4 million signing bonus. That is just amazing. Let me read off a list of names. You, you you tell me to stop when you recognize anyone's name. Adley Rushman, R-U-T-S-C-H-M-A-N. Adley Rushman. Uh, Royce Lewis. Mickey Mouse Moniak. Brady Aiken. How about Mark Appel? I remember him just because he was a bum. Uh, how about Casey Mize? And there is Dansby Swanson, who's with the Atlanta Braves. But those other one, two, three, four, five, six players that I mentioned, those are all former number one overall draft choices <clears throat> over the last seven years. That is a list of who's who of nobody. I mean, Mark Appel, number one pick from Kansas City, just absolute bum. Casey Mize, bum. Mickey Moniak, never freaking heard of him. Royce Lewis, same thing. Brady Aiken, bum. Nobody. Nobody. I mean, this is like, and that's who's getting drafted number one in baseball just because it's such a crapshoot. You, you don't know. There are some. There was a stretch there three or four years where it was Bryce Harper and uh, Steven Strasburg. So there are some. But for the most part, it is just an absolute crapshoot. So my question to all this is, uh, as we play the Mickey Mouse, how is it possible? You know what the average salary is in Major League Baseball? It's $4 million. $4 million. But, you know, listen, for you and I, that's pretty good money. I get that. But how is it possible a kid in college who hasn't played a lick of Major League Baseball, hasn't played a lick of Minor League Baseball, for that matter, is making $8 million? How do they have that written into the contract? These dopey MLB players, you know, when they're bitching and complaining about the owners fighting for every single nickel with this lockout slash, you know, strike slash work stoppage slash virus situation, well, this is why they got to pay minor leaguers who haven't done anything that they really have no idea if they're going to be good or not, because I just gave you a list of players who were number one overall picks who were bums. They don't know if these guys are going to be any good. And you got to pay these guys eight point four million dollars. 
That's why major league players, the owners have to fight for every nickel with you guys because they're stuck paying all these draft choices. That's why they, you know, put a rule in there this year that there were only five rounds because they were stuck paying all these other players that are going to turn out to be nothings. It costs them a lot of money. How does the major league player, you know, the NFL did this. Thank you, Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford was the last one, if you remember, drafted out of Oklahoma. He got a gazillion dollars. Uh, literally, it was about $40, $50 million. And the NFL player went to the owners and said, enough is enough. Uh, we can't have this. We're getting our brains beaten out. We're making league minimum right around $300,000 or so. And we got this guy who hasn't done squat. And he's coming in here and may, he's making $50 million. We got to change the rules. We, we you know, listen, we're going to reward the guy who goes number one. But we are going to slot these guys. And that's what the NFL did. And they worked it out, the owners with the players. Now, maybe the players gave up a little bit too much because they, they allowed the owners to have you know rights for these first-round draft choices for five years. But at least the NFL player went to the owners and said, we're not giving up all this money to a bunch of nobodies. Let them prove themselves. You know, Give a piece of that pie to us before you give it to them. I don't know why Major League Baseball doesn't do the same thing. To think that they're going to give these players – now, not everyone makes $8 million, but to think that these first-round draft choices and the first overall pick is going to make $8.4 bucks when the average salary is only $4 million for the major league player. And according to the numbers I looked up, I don't know about this, but it did say that 65% of all major league baseball players make less than a $1 million. I don't know if that's necessarily true or not, but <clears throat> that's what the numbers said. I mean, think about that. Over half the people in the MLB make less than a million dollars, and this dweeb is making $8.4 million. That's crazy. That, that is just absolutely crazy. The Players Association, listen, you got a pretty strong union there. Uh, you can make uh, the case that they get the strongest union in all the sports. You got to step in. You, you can't have this. You know, you can't ha have three, four, five, six, seven year veterans. You know, making a league minimum, and then you have a guy who's coming out of college that hasn't proven himself at all, and it's really a 50-50 crapshoot if he ever does make it into Major League Baseball, making $8.4 million. I, I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't. You know, if I'm the Detroit Tigers, I get that's the system, but in a case of a college kid, you know, the one thing you have over a college kid is leverage. You draft a high school kid, the high school kid could tell the Detroit Tigers, listen, you, you give me my $8.4 million. I don't care what Wetzel says. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to college. You know, I, I, can, I have another option. Whereas the college kid, well, you know, he doesn't really have the option. Where, where's he going to go? Is he going to go play overseas? I suppose he could throw the Korean Baseball League or Japan Baseball League at you. But in reality, you know, you have the guy by the balls, if you will. So you, there are any other options realistically out there. Uh, but why they would slot it like that, why they would allow this kind of money to be given to unproven players when there are major league players that are searching for every dime and nickel, boy, that is just nuts. Just nuts. Again, when you have the Adley uh, Reutschmans and the Brady Aikens and the Mickey Mouse Moniacs of the world as former number one picks, I mean, that is proof in the pudding that these baseball executives, these so-called scouts and general managers, they don't know what the fudge is going on when it comes to this stuff. They really don't. There, there are, if you go over the last 20 years, for number one, not number two, three, or four, but the number one overall pick, you will find way more busts than you will actual, you know, proven star players. 
with former number one picks. And yet they they continue to give these guys that kind of money. Man, that is just crazy. That is just absolutely crazy. 844-843-6879. You know, this is something I brought up on my podcast, and it came to uh, light again yesterday. And that is kudos to Barry Larkin and what he is asking for. This is something that, again, I brought up before, and I'm glad people are finally taking notice. We'll talk about that next. Bagels and Bad Beats on a Wednesday morning. We're truly Scott Webster. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Bagel. Now, back to Bagels and Bad Beats with Scott Wetzel. This issue, uh, racial injustice, social injustice, police brutality, all of these things are not ending anytime soon. Um, and so our fight is long-term. And so that was that was part of my decision. But if, if the league uh, or more of my guys would have came together and said we didn't want to play, I would have sat out as well. I wouldn't have fought it. Um, but I think most of us decided to play, and, and it's something that we'll have to live with. But I trust that my heart's in the right place, and, and I'm doing enough um, to really make change. Bagels and Bad Beats on this Wednesday morning with yours truly, Scott Wetzel, taking you right up until 7 a.m. Eastern time, 844-843-6879. Again, toll-free, 844-843-6879. You want to send a tweet, it is at Opposite Picks. That's O-P-P-O-S-I-T-E, Picks, P-I-C-K-S. Email me, go to the website, hit the contacts, got icon, and fire away. That was Toronto Raptors guard Fred Van Fleet talking about how the, the social uh, injustice and the message that the NBA players are going to be giving is not going to stop. Uh, we all know they're going to put the uh, Black Lives Matter on the court. I guess they're going to put different kind of slogans on the back of their uniforms versus their name just to continue with the message, which, you know, quite frankly, I, I think is kind of goofy at this point. I, I really do. Uh, knock yourself out. You want to put Black Lives Matter on the court, go ahead. Uh, but, you know, they are bigger fish to fry versus just having goofy slogans on the back of jerseys. You know, uh, I said that about the national anthem at this point. You know, it's been four years since players have stopped standing for the national anthem. I saw the dopey uh, women uh, kneeling for the national anthem for yesterday's game. We moved on. The cause has advanced past that. It's no longer about standing or not standing for the national anthem. I think the protesters have finally gotten it. That that's really not the issue here it's about the whole cause same thing here with these names but i want specifics get get things actually done that will help the situation and i tell you barry larkin is trying to do something that i brought up as i mentioned in my podcast a, a few weeks ago when we were dissecting who's in the baseball hall of fame and who's not you got one of the biggest racist most prominent persons in major league baseball in the hall of fame and it came to light yesterday with Barry Larkin and the MVP trophy. We'll talk about that next after the top of the hour sports fight right here. Bagels and bad beats on a uh, Wednesday morning with yours truly, Scott Wetzel.
sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com.